0: Forge. How we doing? If we haven't met, my name is Jonathan Pekluta. It is a privilege uh, to be with you here tonight to teach from God's Word. And uh, man, yesterday I was online and was just kind of, you know, there was a, an article that caught my eye. It said it was, it was this, 15 things you're doing wrong. Okay, that's clickbait, right? 15 things you're doing wrong. That's like, hey, click on me and waste seven minutes of your life so that you can see with somebody. But you know, so what did I do? I clicked on it and wasted seven minutes of my life. And so it was, it was these 15 things and it was, it was actually pretty interesting and fairly compelling. And so it just started out a little bit lame. It was talking about like pronunciation. Okay, so these 15 things we're doing wrong. One was pronunciation. And so it, it gave some specific examples of words. This didn't surprise me. I know there's words we pronounce wrong, but, but here was one of them, for example. Okay, so what word is that? Okay, sherbet. Sherbet. There's no R here. Okay? So the right way to say that word is sherbet, like your English sherbet. Uh, And so, yeah, I always say sherbet, you know, give me the rainbow sherbet. Uh, But it's sherbet. So now you know. Here was another word. What is this word? (laughs) You all got that one wrong. Okay? It's bruschetta. Bruschetta, Brew- okay, you got it right. Everyone else got it wrong. <laughs> bruschetta, Brew- not bruschetta, which I've always said, so you have been ordering your appetizers at Italian restaurants wrong all your life, and now you know. And so here was another one they said. What is this word? All right, let's solve this mystery right now. I don't want it to go any further. We're done with this right now. If you think it's gif, raise your hand. Gif, okay, some, yeah. Some of you are just real sure, yeah, I I hear you, you're angry, stop it. Okay, if you think it's Jif, raise your hand. Okay, if you just kind of glaze over it real fast because you don't know what it is, raise your hand, okay. It is, are you ready, drum roll please. It's Jif! Jif! Jif. Oh no, I see you saying I'm wrong. Shaking your head. You're wrong. Okay, this was a question on Jeopardy, and they went back to the, the founder of the word, and he said it's JIF. So now we know everyone for the rest of your life can say that word correctly. All right, so this is just how the article starts. We're still on the first one. It was pronunciation. I'm not gonna tell you, uh, just go into detail on the other ones, but here's what they were. Ready? Breathing, I'm like, I'm breathing wrong. Are you (laughs) sure showering, working out, going to the bathroom, washing hands, sleeping, eating, brushing your teeth, and shaving. There were several, there were 15 of them. Those are some of them. All of these things you're doing wrong. And as I was reading it yesterday, I was thinking about you know, there's something that I'm certain we're doing wrong that didn't make the list and the article went on to talk about some of the consequences to doing these things wrong like sleeping and and eating and breathing have real physical consequences but this particular thing that didn't make the list I think has one of the greatest consequences most relevant to us and so we're in this series asking for a friend questions you wish the church would answer And tonight we're going to look at what does the Bible have to say about sex? What does it actually have to say about sex? You've probably heard some murmurings here and there, but what does it actually have to say about sex? And even more specifically, sex before marriage. And so as I said, that I think this is the thing that is going to be or cause some of the greatest regrets in our lives. So let's just say, fast forward the tape to when you're 40, 45, and let me just say this from personal experience. This is the thing that has caused the greatest regrets in my own life. This has had a bigger impact on my own marriage than anything. So just in case you're a guest with us and you're like, oh great, another pastor telling me I can't have sex before I'm married, what does he know? I'm sure he saved himself. No, I have a scandalous past sexual addiction is a huge part of my story pornography tremendous part of my story and so I've traveled and and have uh the privilege and the honor of speaking on this topic in in a lot of different places and I'm really grateful to be home tonight to talk with you about it and it's not something that I'm just I'm not trying to scare you I'm not putting things up here just to kind of condemn you. I don't want you to leave feeling guilty or full of shame. I want you to know that I found forgiveness, the same forgiveness that is available to you. And, and there's tremendous hope. And the Scripture is really clear. And so I'm not trying to, you know, pull anything over your eyes. I, I want to show you what God's word has to say. Because the way you find out how to pronounce jiff is you go to the creator and the way that you find out how to have sex is you go to the inventor, the creator of sex. You can go into the grocery store, to the tabloids in the, in the aisle, and there'll be a lot of people that will tell you 13 tips and tricks to how to have an amazing sex life. Okay, And they've dumbed it down to penetration. They've dumbed it down to something that dogs do on the side of the road. And the creator of the heavens and the earth has said it's so much more, and you're missing out on it if you would just look at why he created this. God loves sex, it's his brainchild. He thought of it, he invented it. I've said it many times, he made the parts. He made them function the way that they do, fit together the way that they do, that a man would take his seed and place it inside a woman and life would be born. This is beautiful and amazing and one of the greatest miracles of our lives. But we don't think about it that way. Most of the time when we're thinking about sex, we're thinking about pleasure and really stripping away what we would call the consequences how do we enjoy a moment of pleasure? And this is something that I think we've come so far on that I need you to have an open mind tonight and, and start from the place like, what if, we get the, what if we've gotten this really, really, really wrong? And what if the consequences are so grave that we're just swimming in them and we don't even realize it? Like they have tremendous impact on the world that we live in and we don't even realize it and so we're going to look at three questions tonight the first one is what does the bible really say about sex and why it's wrong and why isn't it more obvious the second one is how far is too far and then before you leave here this morning i want to address the question what do i do if i've already gone too far and the temptation i face is just to give up and to say hey who cares let's just go all in and so the first question is this, where does the Bible explicitly say that sex before marriage is wrong? Let me tell you a story. I was one of these kids, and I'm, I'm sure you've heard about these boys. I was one of these boys that um, I went to a Bible study. It was actually at my girlfriend's house, my girlfriend's parents' house, okay, in high school, my girlfriend in high school's parents' house. So you got the setting. We're sitting there in the living room. There's a Bible uh, you know, school teacher, and they're talking about this and then telling us how we shouldn't have sex. And I just kind of raised my hand and said, Hey, I've read the Bible, it's not in there, it doesn't say don't have sex before marriage. And uh, you can't show me and there's some things going on and you don't understand the Greek word that I've looked into because every boy who wants to get his girlfriend naked all of a sudden becomes a Greek scholar, okay? That's just kind of how that works. And, and so I'm like, hey, listen, now this is, keep in mind where I'm at. And so my girlfriend's dad walks in and he's like, wait, who's asking this question and what's he saying? And I'm like, I don't know, who is? Which one and, and, and he's like, that dude is not going anywhere near my daughter and but here's what you need to know I was wrong and if that's you here tonight I empathize with your stance I understand why you're there you're trying to justify what you want to do and you're also wrong and so we'll get to look at what God's word actually says because the first thing Satan says one of the first things Satan says to humanity is this did God really say Did God really say? And if you're one of those people, as it comes to sex, you're saying, did God really say? Here's what you need to know. You're getting duped by the enemy. He's eating your lunch. You're getting sold by Satan, you are believing his lie and he is getting the best of you. And so let's just walk through the Bible and kind of talk about different areas that talk about different kinds of sex really quick. And so the first one is the Old Testament, right? The Old Testament is about 75% of the Bible and as we get to the first five books, it has a lot to do, a lot to say about sex. It, you have the, the invention of man and women, woman right in the, at the beginning and God says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And so here it says this in Deuteronomy chapter 22, the context of this verse is that if someone gets married and someone raises the point that who he married was not a virgin, then he has to prove that she was a virgin. And the way that he would prove that she was a virgin is he would have to present the bed sheet from their honeymoon. And, and have to show that there was blood on the bed sheet from their honeymoon to prove that she was a virgin. I know that's graphic. If you have kids here tonight, we we typically don't let children in the porch. And, um, <laughs> and so just know that I'm speaking to adults tonight. Um, and so that, I know that's really graphic. This is Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 13. Um, it says, I'm sorry, verse 20. It says, If, however, the charge is true and no proof of the young woman's virginity can be found, she shall be brought to the door of her father's house, and there the men of her town shall stone her to death. Ouch. Okay, that's crazy. That's crazy. Here's what I just said. If someone gets married and someone raises the case, hey, that they're not a virgin, they literally had the right, according to the Bible, according to the law of that time, to kill them by rocks. This is really graphic and really heavy, but you need to know this is how the Bible starts out, that God really, really cares about this. Now, I know where your mind's going, a thousand different places, and you're like, what about the guy? Here's what it says about the guy in Exodus chapter 22. It says that if he uh, has sex with a girl, if he convinces a girl to have sex with him, then they are married, and they cannot get divorced. I'm not talking about married in God's eyes. I'm talking about they are married, he can't marry anyone else, and they have to stay married forever. And he has to pay uh, to be married to her. He has to pay her father a dowry. And so this is how the scripture just kind of starts out saying, hey, sex is a really, really big deal. And you're like, man, this is crazy. Keep in mind a couple things. One, that was written 3,000 years ago into a, a cultural context very different than the one that we live in. In this cultural context, sex was held in the highest regard And purity wasn't even something you'd question. Like everyone, no one would wonder, can I have sex before married or not? No way, you might, you would die, it would cost you your life. No one's even thinking about that, okay? And you say, man, but that's still crazy. Let me tell you a story from my hometown. In my hometown, a dad, a father, walked up on a man having sex with his underage daughter. True story. And that dad beat that man to death. He killed him. Right there on the spot. He appeared before the judge. And the judge, in a matter of minutes, let him off. Said, you're free. I hold nothing against you. You've committed no crime here. I understand why you did what you did. And I remember reading that article and thinking, yeah. I mean, you know, we're human beings. He's filled with passion and rage. He sees this happening. Of course, now consider that every young lady that has ever been born and created is, is, the, is the creation of God. Like God brought her into existence and formed her body and knows everything about her and loves her more than her father does. And when you take advantage of that that girl, men, the scripture, 1 Thessalonians 4 says God is the avenger of these matters. That it really, really matters to him and i'm not trying to scare you i'm just reading the scripture to you and so you're like but right, wait okay that i thought we were talking about you know sex being wrong the old testament like we don't we don't follow the old testament right we eat shellfish and and pork, and so we're not following those rules, and I've heard something about, you know, there being moral laws and, and ceremonial laws, and so what, what does this mean? How does this matter? Well, let's, let's move to the, the New Testament, but let's agree that 75% of the Bible says sex before marriage is explicitly wrong. 75%, that's the Old Testament. 75% of the Bible is like, oh yeah, absolutely, you could get killed for doing that. Okay, so let's move into the New Testament. And let's just look at different kinds of sex. We'll start with, with uh, sex with prostitutes. Can I have sex with prostitutes? 1 Corinthians 6, verse 14. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Okay, so I can't have sex with prostitutes, all right? No, that's, that is out. Old Testament out. Sex with prostitutes also out. That is not allowed. And you say, well, why does that matter? Here's why it matters. Because there's only certain labels that girls carried in the New Testament. So when you think about categories, there is no girlfriend category. It did not exist in the New Testament. You had mom, sister, adulterer, prostitute, or wife. Those were the labels that you'd have. You could be a relative. You could be an adulterer. You could be a prostitute. Or you could be a wife. There was no girlfriend. There was no dating category. And so let's talk about something that you know the Bible condemns. It's adultery. We'll talk about adultery, married people. This is having sex with a married person or going outside of your marriage to have sex. Romans 7, verse 3 says, so then if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. And so the Bible says you cannot go outside of your marriage to have sex, and you cannot have sex with someone uh, who is married to someone else. And we say, absolutely, we know that. The Bible's really explicit about this. In the New Testament, it says this seven times, that you cannot do this. This is condemned seven times in the New Testament. When something's important, it's repeated in the scripture. And so we see that this is wrong. It's like God is saying something. He's saying, hey, marriage is a really sacred fence. And sex is for marriage. And, and you can't go outside of that marriage to have sex with anyone else, okay? You don't want to have sex with anyone's in that fence with somebody else, and he's about to tell us, and you don't have sex before you get in that fence. You say, where? Before I go there, Hebrews thirteen four, just this idea that marriage is a sacred fence. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral, There's two terms there adulterer, and then another term, the sexually immoral. This word is really important in understanding what the scripture says. Um, So let's talk about sexual immorality. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5 says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And so whatever sexual immorality is, it is forbidden. And it says that we're to learn to control our own body. And so here is a word that encompasses sex before marriage. Okay, and you say, well, why doesn't it say sex before marriage? Keep in mind the context that it's written in is that people aren't, they know, they know that you can't have sex before marriage. Remember the woman who was caught in sexual sin in John chapter 8? They come around her and they pick up rocks and they're about to kill her right there. And Jesus intervenes. That's them living out the law in Deuteronomy 22. This is the context that this is written in. And so everybody comes up. This is where you become a Greek scholar. Say, well, that's the word porneia. And porneia can mean, you know, all of these different things. No, porneia means any sexual activity outside of the context of a man and a woman who are married together. That's what porneia means. You can look up the definition anywhere you want. It's like, well, how do you know what it means? How do I know what up means? How do I know what down means? How do I know what any word means? I can look it up and we know without a doubt, without any question, what pornaya means. Sex outside of God's covenant of marriage. Sexual activity. Any kind of sex. And so the problem is we all want to decide what this word means. And we all agree that there's, there's some forbidden sex, right? Like, like I'm just gonna go on a limb and I'm gonna assume that everyone here would say like sex with children, that's wrong. That's forbidden. Let's just assume we all agree that that's wrong. But you know there's people that don't agree with you, right? There's, there's NAMLA, which stands for North American Men, Boy, Love Association. And it's as outrageous as it sounds. And they advocate pedophilia. They say that it should be legal, right? But we would say, no, that's forbidden. Why would you say that? Where does that come from? Well, just a feeling I have. Or we could listen to the one who created sex and says, this is what sex is for. We don't get to decide what is right and what is wrong. He does, and he's made it really clear. Remember I said adultery was condemned seven times? Pornaya, fornication is translated in some Bibles, which is a more direct sex before marriage, is condemned 26 times in the New Testament. 26 times. And so you think, but why does God say, why does he not say thou shalt not have sex before marriage? It's like this. It's like God says, there's a building, and God says, hey, don't go on the roof. Under any circumstance, don't go on the roof. That's this word, pornaya. It's all-encompassing. It's all kinds of sexual immorality, which includes sex before marriage. And God says, don't go on the roof. Whatever you do, don't go on the roof. Let me tell you 26 times, do not, under any circumstance, go on the roof. And we show up, and we say, well, God didn't say don't jump off the roof. Why did he never say don't jump off the roof? He's like, no, 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 you don't he put the line way before that. He said, don't even go up on the roof. I'm like, yeah, but he never said don't jump off the roof. Did he? Really? I mean, where? because there's a Greek word. It's like, God, it's like God didn't say don't shoot someone at point blank range 16 times in the chest with an AR-15 caliber. Where did he say that? He said, Don't murder. Yeah, 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 but I mean, mean, but where does he say? No, no, his his rule is even bigger than that. But does it include? Absolutely, right in the middle of that. Of course, it includes that. And you say, Well, I'm not convinced. 1 Corinthians 7 2. But since sexual immorality is occurring, the only thing I know to do is that each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. This is the only place that this should occur. And so the only solution to sexual morality is is abstinence or marriage. If someone's seeking release. And you say, well, I'm not convinced yet, and so let's just go one more. We, We got the topic of lust. Lust, in Matthew 5, this is the words of Jesus now. He says, you have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so Jesus says, hey, I know you've heard adultery condemned, but I'm condemning you looking at someone and desiring her. Lust is sexual desire, And that's what this is. And so he says, that's not, even that, even to have sexual desire for someone that you're not married to, that is not allowed. And you say, well, that's not a reality, right? That's that's, that's not anything that I can do. And I would say, you're absolutely right unless the trajectory, the entire trajectory of your life and your heart and your mind is to pursue Jesus with all you can to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that that is actually the goal, that you're not just trying to not have sex, you're trying to love God. In fact, your problem is not that you love sex too much, it's that you don't love God enough, that that he would be the biggest thing about you, that that anybody that you would even think about dating or spending time with or or desiring to marriage, that right at the center of that relationship would be Jesus. And that anywhere you would go with her or him would be the Holy Spirit. And what it would be marked by is not just purity, but holiness. That the world would look on and say, man, what they have for each other, it's holy, it's godly, it's God honoring. The Bible says sex is for marriage in First Corinthians chapter seven, verse nine. But if they cannot control themselves, they should masturbate for it oh no, that's not what it says. It says, but if they cannot, <laughs> but if they cannot control themselves, they should have oral sex, that's not what it says. But if they cannot control themselves they should make out. That's not what it says. But if they cannot control themselves they should marry. That's really their only option, exclusively their only option. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And so we see is sexual activity outside of marriage is wrong. That's oral sex, anal sex, sexting, any kind of sex that you would have outside of marriage is wrong. And so how far is too far, second question. How far is too far? Uh, Let's just acknowledge up front that this question is asked by someone wanting to cross the line. I mean, that we all have a desire to go too far. That inside of us is an urge to go too far. And so if someone comes to me and they say, you know, on a building, they say, well, how close to the edge Can I get? How close to the edge of the building can I get? The first thing that I'm gonna ask them, well, let me ask you a question. Do you desire to jump off the building? Because if you desire to jump off the building, stay on the ground. Don't even get on the elevator. And when it comes to sex, we all need to acknowledge that there is a desire in us, especially if we're spending time with someone that we're attracted to, to jump off the building. And so Matthew 5 goes on to say this. He says, If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Talking about in the context of lust, Jesus is using a hyperbole an exaggeration he doesn't literally want you to gouge out your eye or cut off your hand but he is trying to say to the religious people there you need to do whatever it takes to abstain from sexual immorality and to not lust and it's interesting that when he talks about lust he's saying hey your eye causes you to lust because you look at something and he says your right hand also causes you to lust and I believe that is a reference to masturbation And so if you want to, hey, how far is too far? Lusting is too far. Masturbation is too far. And so let me just, you know, break it down very clearly for you. Because I know how this works, right? Hey, you want to come over to my apartment and watch a movie? Sure. Is there going to be popcorn there? Yeah, okay. And so you go over and I'm hey, watch this romantic comedy, you know. It's oh, <laughs> so funny. It's Jennifer Aniston. I love her. And, and we're just having a good time. Hey, oh, I'm tired. I'm a, you okay if I lay down? Yeah, I'm, I'll lay down too. Okay. Now we just went horizontal. Okay. But it, just, it's cool because we're just watching a movie, right? And, and then, you know, one hand touches the other hand. Sparks start flying. Move closer. Okay. Bodies up against each other. There's some rubbing going on. Okay, you uncomfortable yet? (laughs) Right? Okay, and then all of a sudden, hands start going places. Somebody turns over. You're making out now. Right? This is how this goes, right? Okay, but we're going to stop. We're just enjoying each other. Here's what you just did. You just got on a moving sidewalk. You've seen these things in the airport, the moving sidewalks? You know, you get on them, they take you places. I got on a moving sidewalk once. It was, a, it was, you know, one that went all the way down the terminal. I got halfway there with my suitcase. It was full of people, and I realized it wasn't the right terminal. It wasn't going to the right gate. And I needed to get off, but it's just slowly moving me down, you know. And so I started thinking I'm going to climb over the side, but then there was actually two of them right beside each other. So, like, I'm thinking, okay, I got to get them to move, climb over that one, then climb over the next, and and then somehow, hey, will you hand me my bags? Like, how am I going to do this? Because it's just taking me somewhere, right? It just keeps moving me on. That's what happened, what you did. It's it's leading to two destinations one full of regret, and the other full of regret, right? You either finish or you leave really, really frustrated but it ain't going anywhere good. And you stepped on that sidewalk and it just started taking you, right? One thing leads to another and you just keep going. So how far is too far? Here's the really clear answer. You ready? Really clear. It's transferable. You can tell your friends. Here's how far is too far. When your body begins to prepare itself for sex, you've gone too far. Now, do I need to get some, I mean, some like, what am I trying to say? Pictures up here to explain what I mean by this? That's not what I was talking about. <laughs> Let me just say this really clearly. When your body, in the way that God designed it to work and operate and function, and it's an amazing design, whether you're male or female, it's, a, it's an incredible design. When your body begins to prepare itself for sex, you've already crossed the line. And you say, JP, man, gosh then I can't even be in the same room with her. Then you can't be in the same room with her. At least not alone. And for some of you, that's going to be like, well, then we can't even hold hands. Well, then you can't even hold hands. Okay, because your body was made to prepare itself for sex. And that's a great thing. Like, that's your body working the way that it's supposed to work. But why would you, you know, start your body only to shut it off in a way that is not supposed to work? Why would you train your body to do something that it wasn't wired to do, it wasn't meant to do? Do you see God's incredibly genius design here? It's, it's an amazing design. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 says this. Flee sexual immorality. All of the sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. Therefore, honor God with your body." And so we flee sexual immorality. The way that we flee sexual immorality is we run toward Christ. If you're running toward Christ, you're running from sexual immorality. If you're running toward Christ as fast as you can, sexual immorality, I promise you, is going to be behind you. Jesus and sexual immorality will never be side by side. You will never be pursuing Jesus and sexually immoral. It will not happen. And so you can stop playing defense. Don't, 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 thou shalt not stop and you can start playing offense, pursue Jesus with reckless abandonment and begin to live out your purpose. And when you do that, you will not fall into sexual sin. You will avoid sexual sin. The problem is not that you love sex. It's that you're not pursuing Christ. And so here's what I would tell you. I know some, some folks are like, well, but it's just sex. It's never just sex. You go on Twitter and search hashtag me too, and you're going to see that it's never just sex. Somebody comes up and they talk to me every Tuesday right up here. They can't look me in the eyes. They're broken. Some of the most broken people that I've ever met with are someone who has sinned sexually or been violated sexually in some way. And it is a, it's a sin against the self, the scripture says. It's a unique sin. It impacted, I'm not saying them being violated is a sin. I'm saying that, that the, the person who sinned against them hurt them in a unique way. It was against themselves. The scripture puts it in a all, you know, its own category. It says, hey, this one is unique when you do this. And this is why you can't get over your ex. This is why you want to get drunk and have an excuse to call them. We want to drink too much as an excuse to make a mistake. Because you gave yourself to them. In a way that you weren't supposed to. And now they have your heart in a unique way. Male or female. And I know it's true. And you know it's true. Because the way that God made sex, it's the highest levels of dopamine that someone can experience naturally. And what happens during sexual release is your brain creates a synapse. A synapse is like a muscle in the brain. It creates a synapse that bonds your five senses to your surroundings. Okay? This is where uh, sexual perversions come from. This is where fetishes come from. You think, man, why, you know, is there foot porn out there? It's because some dude or some person has bonded themselves to feet. And that's what the epitome of sexual attraction is for them. That's what happened. The reason that God made us this way is so that when we would experience sexual release with our spouse for a lifetime, they would remain the epitome of attraction to us. It's an unbelievable, beautiful design. It's why the scripture says, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. And today, secular psychologists and scientists call this phenomenon sex glue that people during sex are bonded to each other. And what happens when you bond to multiple two-dimensional images in, in a pornography struggle or addiction is you're rewiring your body not to bond. And what happens is when you've been promiscuous with multiple partners is you're teaching your body not to bond, not to stick. And you're training yourself for variety. You are growing an addiction not to sex, but to variety. You are not training yourself for monogamy, but polygamy and adultery. And for many of you, you just had a light bulb moment. Because you look at our world, you see the divorce rate, you see how adultery is at an all-time high. Divorce rates at an all-time high. Marriage at an all-time low. And can I just say something here? We're not getting better at this. We've got more tips and tricks and techniques in the grocery store than we've ever had in the history of history. And we stink at this in the biggest way. Your generation is the worst at sex and the worst at marriage than any other generation that has ever lived. And what's the solution? You. You. Pursuing Jesus. Being an example of what should be, displaying the kingdom, redeeming it. And I know that right about now the condemnation is at an all-time high. Because you feel like you've blown it in a major way. And the Rolodex is spinning. And you know that last night you were on your iPhone. You know on Instagram, you clicked those hashtags. You know, you, you went down that path. You know, just this past weekend, you drank a little too much. You called the ex and said, hey, you want to come over and watch a movie? And I want you to know that the enemy is real. He hates you. He hates your children. He hates your marriage long before you've ever met your spouse. He hates you. He hates creation. The reason that he hates creation, this is really important, He uniquely targets sex. And here's why. Because the first great commission, God's plan to fill the earth with his followers, was to to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. God literally looks at man and woman and says, hey, have lots of sex and have lots of babies. And raise them up to know me. And that's how I'm going to fill the world with my followers. And so Satan... who who, it's one kingdom after another. He doesn't want God's kingdom to grow. He wants his kingdom to grow. He targets sexuality, and he tries to pervert it in a very unique way. The last thing the enemy wants is for you to be in a healthy marriage where you have children and raise them to know the Lord. That's what he's after. He is targeting you. And so what do I do if I've gone too far? What do I do if I've gone too far? You need to know there's grace and forgiveness. You do not have to leave here tonight feeling guilty or shameful or condemnation. So you think, well, I might as well keep on going, right? I've already blown it. What do I do if I've gone too far? What do you ever do if you've gone too far? Let's just think about this for a minute, right? I do this a lot because sometimes when I drive, I just kind of daydream, my mind wanders, you know, anybody else? And so I'm driving and, and I'll just like miss my turn, especially if my wife's not in the car to tell me because she's good at direction. But I'll just, you know, I'll just be thinking about a sermon and, you know, what I'm gonna talk with you guys about and I'll just keep driving. I'll miss my turn or I'll miss my destination and I'll get, you know, down the road and I'll realize it. oh, it's back that way. What do I do? The first thing I do is I stop. I stop progressing because I realize I'm going the wrong way, so I don't want to go any further. So I stop and then I turn around and I reorient myself. I look at the destination I want to be at and I move toward it. And that's what you do if you've already blown it. You stop. No more. I'm done. I'm not going to go any further. Okay? I'm gonna turn around, that's called repentance. I'm moving from my sin and I'm turning toward Christ. That's repentance, turning from your sin, turning toward Jesus, Bible study, community group, church, that these things would consume your life. All right? You confess, guys, this is what I did. This is where my boyfriend and I are right now. This is where my girlfriend and I are right now. This is what we've done. Hey, I need to say this out loud. Would y'all pray for me in a James five sixteen kind of way so that I can experience healing. I want to confess it out loud, all of it, the whole truth. This is what I've done. You confess it. You bring accountability. Hey, guys, would you help me? This is a temptation to me. Would you text me at this time? Hey, I'm going here. Would you, would you reach out to me? Hey, would you pray for me at this time? Would you follow up with a question? And you invite accountability into your life. Some of you, you're in a toxic relationship, and what you need to hear tonight is breakup. Others of you, you have addictions in your life as it relates to sex, and what you need to hear tonight is pursue healing. It's been there since the fifth grade. It's not going to go away until you say, I need help. I'm, I got to pursue healing. Okay. My wife and I, this is a part of our story. We met as non believers, we trusted Christ together. Our, our relationship was a train wreck, manic, highs and lows. I love you. I hate you. Get out of my car. I can't wait to see you again. It was just a mess. Right? We come in, Jesus enters our life. We're like, whoa. Where have you been all our life? And we realized instant the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Is like we got to cut this out. And so we pulled the parking brake on all things physical. But it was hard. It was very, very difficult. And so what we needed to do is to create new lines of accountability that had nothing to do with sex. Like how we spent time to, together. She couldn't stay at my place anymore, obviously. Right? And, and we couldn't be alone. And we had to change up the rules for us to make it. To, and you know what happened? You know what I did? Call me crazy, you know what I did? It took me about a month and I proposed. I bought a ring. I'm like, this isn't any fun, man. We got to, you know. And we were married four months later. That's the truth. That's the truth. And, and I didn't get off scot-free. Like, I didn't, I didn't escape all the consequences. I brought, him, I brought the consequences into my marriage. It took about two and a half years of serious recovery to take place in my marriage. But God has done such a redemptive work. Such an incredible redemptive work. But can I be honest with you? It was a lot of work. It was a lot of work. And some of you, you're going to leave here. And this is my last word of warning for you. You're going to keep moving the wrong direction. And I hate that for you. Because I know firsthand how costly that is. I... um, I grew up painting. I'm an artist, I guess. You know, like some of you guys were football players and athletes and whatnot. Art was kind of my thing. And so I I would go to this lady that grew up in a small town. It was Miss Talbert's uh, art studio. And it was this elderly lady. She's since passed away. But she would teach us to paint. And so there was just kids in there. And we would paint on, like, um, glass canvases, if you will. China. uh, Oil on China. And so oil painting... And, um, and whenever you would paint, she would teach you how. If you'd ever mess up, you'd just raise your hand, okay, because there's no way to, like, erase oil paint, you know, and so you just have to raise your hand. And this lady, this elderly lady who was an amazing artist, she'd come behind you, and she put her, her hand on your hand. And, and she would guide your hand on the canvas to make something beautiful of your mistake, and some of my favorite paintings were the ones that I really messed up because she was so much better than me of an artist. And so, you know, when she would get involved, it would always end up beautiful. And so there would be this brush out of bounds that, that you, you know, it was supposed to be a flower. And it was just, it was nothing that you could see or notice, realize what it was. And she'd come behind me, put her hand on mine, and she'd make the most beautiful flower you can imagine out of it, that mistake. And this is what God does. You stop, I'm not going to go any further. I'm going to turn around. God, can you help? Can you help me? Can you drive from here? And he he comes in your life. And he can make something beautiful out of what you've done wrong. Okay? He makes amazing fathers out of fornicators. He he makes uh, awesome moms out of abortionists. He makes pastors out of pornographers. He makes saints out of the sexually immoral. He makes beauty from ashes. That's what he does. I'll give you two examples and then we'll wrap up. In 1 John chapter 8, I told you there's this woman. She's caught in sexual sin. And so all these guys surround her and they pick up stones. Can you imagine being this woman? Like she feels guilty, she feels shame, and now she's about to die because they know Deuteronomy 22. They've read it. They know what they gotta do now. She was sexually immoral and they gotta kill her. To follow the law, they're gonna kill her. They're gonna throw rocks at her till she stops breathing, except Jesus shows up. He steps in between the woman and the men holding the rocks. He says, hey, let me ask you guys a question. Whoever... Um, which of you hasn't sinned? Whoever hasn't sinned, you, you throw the first stone, okay? And what you hear is the sound of rocks hitting the ground. And these men walking off. And he looks at her and he says, no one's here to condemn you, huh? No, sir. Then neither do I. Go and sin no more. He doesn't say, neither do I. Keep going. Keep moving down the sidewalk. Keep doing your thing, lady. He says, stop it. Go and sin no more. And I'll tell you another story because that one was for the women, but there's another story about a guy who goes to his dad and says, hey, dad, I wish you would die. The reason I wish you died because you got some money and I'd like to have your money and there's lots of things that I'd love to do. This his dad says, oh, well, you don't have to wait till I die here. Why don't you take half your inheritance? He takes it. He goes to Vegas, and he blows it on prostitutes. He blows all the money on prostitutes. He gets the expensive ones, has some of the wildest, most crazy, best sex that you can imagine. And he wakes up from a hangover. He's got cocaine hanging out of his nose. He's hungry. He has no more money The tables weren't good to him. And he says, you know what I'll do? I'll go back to my dad and I'll ask him if I can be his slave. Because his slaves can eat. And I can't and his slaves can eat. So I'll go and ask him if I can be his slave. And it says, so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. "'The son said to him, "'Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. "'I am no longer worthy to be called your son.' "'But the father said to his servants, "'Quick!' he interrupted him, "'Quick!' Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And if you're here and you're ready to be done with the things that you've done and gotten caught up on, you're ready to stop. You say, I'm done. I realize there's pain in my life. I realize there's hurts and addictions and things that I can't stop. And I'm calling that boy like I'm crazy and I'm stuck on her like I'm crazy, but I'm done. There's a party. There's a party. A party that awaits you. That God wants to celebrate with. He's not like, well, hold on, before you. Hey, let's talk about all these things. So tell me about Vegas. He said, "You're back. I've been waiting on you." He saw him from a long way off and ran. Picked up his robe and ran. That's. The God that is pursuing you. You say, how do I know he's pursuing me? Where are you right now? On Tuesday, you're hearing this. The Bible is clear in summary. The Bible is clear that sex before marriage is a sin against God because it is hurtful to his creation and against his design. How far is too far is the wrong question. How holy can you be in your pursuit of a spouse, in your pursuit of Christ? And there is forgiveness and restoration available to anyone who repents. The old illustration that is still very appropriate is just that sex is like a fire. The fire is powerful. The fire is helpful. The fire is one of or arguably the greatest discovery in humanity. It provides warmth and protection from the cold. It provides light. It provides energy. A fire contained in the right place, it makes your car go down the road. But yesterday I read about a family of four who all died because in the middle of a night a log fell out of the fireplace and it burned their house down. And all of them died because the fire moved outside the place that it was supposed to be and it became destructive. Buddy, you know, there's wildfires going on in Colorado, and or has been, and, and he sent me this picture. Uh, his family's house is right around the corner. That's a Whole Foods that you can see right there, and in the background you see the wildfire. And I would just commend to you that this is our culture right now. Our whole culture is being burnt up on your watch and some of you, you've experienced this fire because you know your house burned down. You, your mom and your dad, they couldn't keep sex where it was meant to be and your house was torn apart and it was burned down and that's a part of your childhood. And you can't tell me that it didn't have a tremendous impact on who you are and, and what you've done. And some of you, you've already burnt your house down long before you met your spouse. And not because you've done something that is unforgivable or that, you can't, or that God can't fix, but because you know you're gonna leave here and you're not gonna change anything. of sexually active people will contract a STD before the age of 25. Half, one in two. The CDC estimates that STDs cause infertility in tens of thousands of women. I told you, Satan hates creation, procreation. Statistics from the CDC would suggest that one in four people in this room tonight or in any room listening to this have a sexually transmitted disease. Nearly half of all births in the United States are to unmarried mothers. Nearly half of the children born here are not born into a family. This is responsible for millions, over a million abortions. The divorce rate amongst couples who have been sexually active before marriage is significantly higher than those who have waited. And if you... Could put sex anywhere, where would you put it? All of these problems would go away if we just had sex in the context of what it was created for. All of them would go away. The divorce rate among couples who waited is less than 5%. Less than 5%. From the Journal of Family Psychology, uh, who studied hundreds of couples who had sex, those who waited and those who didn't, they found that couples who waited, both men and women said they had better communication than those who didn't wait. They had better sexual quality than those who didn't wait. They had better relationship satisfaction than those who didn't wait. They had better perceived stability than those who didn't wait. And so if you were God, if you were creator, and you could put sex anywhere, Where would you put it? And what he did is he put it in the confines of a covenant between a man and a woman who say crazy things to each other. They look each other in the eyes. And I've been there. Man, I have had a front row seat dozens of times. I promise to love you for the rest of my life. Sickness. richer or for poorer until death do us part may the lord deal with me be it ever so severely if anything but death separates me from you and god says that's the place He says in 1 Thessalonians to learn to control your body in a way that's holy and honorable. He says, learn to. Like it's going to be challenging. It's something you've got to learn to. You're going to have to apply some effort. Discipline yourself for godliness. It's a challenge. You've got natural urges. They want to take you down the conveyor belt. The enemy's going to work with that. God says, I have something better for you. I'm not trying to rip you off. I'm trying to set you free. I'm trying to give you life so that you might have it to the fullest. Your only problem is that you believed a lie. I pray tonight that you believe the truth. If you're not convinced, don't leave. You you read some article somewhere your cousin sent you who is a staunch atheist. Come up. We'd love to have the conversation." We'd love to talk with you. I challenge you. I challenge you. If you don't believe, if you're not there yet, you're not convinced, don't leave. Let's have a conversation. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for just all of these texts, these scriptures, these truths that um, instruct us in the way of life. Father, we are um, the enemy, the accuser, you call him. He speaks lies and Um, He's after us tonight. And so as we worship, would you move our hearts toward affection for you? Would you remind us that there's nothing that we've done that's going to stop you from loving us, pursuing us, chasing us, and wooing us? And Father, would you turn our hearts back to you? In the name of Jesus, amen.